0: It's such an honor and a privilege to be able to bring the word of God to you this morning. Um, I really have on my heart a word that uh, is going to be—it's conf- going to be challenging, but at the same time, we're going to have fun with it, okay? And so, I don't want to get bogged down with too much of the context, but uh, turn with me to the Book of Corinthians, First Corinthians. Corinth was a wealthy city. It was an isthmus. It was a small patch of land that connected two larger pieces of land. It was a Greek city. It was a Roman colony, so it had uh, a lot of Roman influence and culture. It was a melting pot of all nationalities and influences because it had two harbors, and so it was getting trade routes from the east and the west. so it was a very wealthy but very immoral city. It had temples to various goddesses and gods from other cultures and to me it was an absolutely savage thing pardon my slang for paul to plant a church in corinth i mean it was a happening city they this is where they had what would be equivalent to the olympic games were held right there in corinth and uh, there was a lot of high level influence and education and philosophy And so even in Acts chapter 18 verse 9, it says that Paul received a dream by the Lord and Jesus spoke to him and said, do not be afraid, they are not going to hurt you. And that I have many people in that city. And it was part of that dream that gave him the courage to go and actually preach the gospel in Corinth. I mean, it was a gangster thing to do for him to plant a church in Corinth. And so as he planted the church, he then left and and ended up hearing about a lot of issues in the church. There there were so much of the culture around the church started creeping in to the church there and he had to address many issues and they were disturbing issues. And he covers a, a number of different issues related to both life and doctrine in the letter. There were divisions and quarrels, there was sexual immorality, There was lawsuits among believers, there was marriage and singleness topics he had to cover, there was freedom in Christ issues, order in worship, the significance of the Lord's Supper, and the right use of spiritual gifts, and he also included a profound teaching on the resurrection. But the culture was also saturated in Greek philosophy, and um, and public educators called sophists were eloquent and skilled in the art of persuasion and rhetoric and debate so i want to give you this backdrop as we look at a few passages in the book of corinthians Uh, one of my favorite passages in 1 corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 it's very popular it says knowledge makes arrogant but love edifies if any man thinks that he has come to know anything he is not yet learned as he ought to know or he has not come to know as he ought to know i love that verse but he's confronting a cultural issue at that time because there were these sophists who would gather publicly and they would uh, hold all these debates and they would uh, articulate all their knowledge and people would gather around them and, and the people wanted to associate with the different philosophers. And that's why there was this skirmish uh, and division saying, of people saying, I am from Paul and I am from Apollos because they wanted to follow the man who was well-educated. The person who could communicate the best. And it's with that I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is one of my favorite passages I've preached over the years because, you know, I've never considered myself the most eloquent speaker. And so uh, this particular verse talks about Paul not coming to the Corinthians with a goal of waxing eloquent or persuasive. Now, I'm not against Eloquence or, or preaching well, we're actually blessed to sit under, in my opinion, one of the, the best communicators I know of in Daniel Kalinda. I mean, he is just an amazing <laughs> communicator, and I'm so blessed to sit under him. But if we have that verse, let's put it up. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come as someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom. Now, how many know he could have? Paul was an intellectual. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was brilliant. I mean, all you have to do is read his letters. The guy was smart, right? So this is Paul specifically humbling himself so that he could be countercultural to what was going on at that time. As I proclaim to you the testimony of God. Let's go to verse two. It says, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now think about this. In a culture where there were a lot of philosophers pontificating their knowledge, Paul says, I'm gonna go the other direction and I'm not gonna promote myself, even though it's tempting to get into that debating spirit and to puff myself up i'm going to go the other direction and pretend to know nothing among you except jesus christ and him crucified what a humility what what a choice to embrace humility for the sake of being countercultural. now let's look at verse three it says i was also with you in weakness and fear and in great trembling now i studied this And I do believe it was because he was fearful of dying. In that context, that's why Jesus had to give him a dream saying, don't be afraid, they're not gonna hurt you. Because he was there in weakness and afraid that he very well could lose his life for preaching the gospel. So he's humbling himself by confessing this, that yes, I was afraid, I was in fear, I was trembling. I'm not trying to make myself look good in your eyes. Verse four. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. Now, a lot of people emphasized, yes, he demonstrated the Spirit and power, but what I see in these verses is more of an emphasis on Paul's humility and his ability to go low for the sake of the hearers, because in verse 5 it says, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. How contrary is that compared to today? Where people are drawing attention to themselves, it's all about the oratory and how they deliver a message. Now again, I'm all about being well prepared and people communicating clearly, I love that. I love knowledge, I love the study of the word. These verses do not give you an out of being clear in the word and knowing the word of God. Listen, young preachers, just because you may not feel like you preach great, don't use this verse to say, you know what, I'm not going to learn how to speak, and I'm not going to learn the word, I'm just going to get up and try my best and get out of the way and let God move. That's good, get out of the way and let God move, but also please learn your Bible. Please know what you're talking about but that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. How many people's faith is resting on the wisdom of men today? You know, we've also fallen into this Greek philosophical way of learning where we bring in an expert, an expert communicates the information, we write it down and we check it off in our intellectual box because we heard it and now we say we know it and we understand it and we may or may not put our faith in it and then experience the truth of it. That's what's happened in our culture. And we all leave with some information in our minds but it very rarely gets translated into our very lives. It's not Hebraic, a Hebraic way of learning is that they would have faith and believe it, then they would experience it then they would know it to be true and they may or may not ever understand it. How contrary is that to our current system that we're in? Where we feel like if we have someone who can communicate it well enough, we get the information and then we leave and we have the information in our minds but we aren't walking in the spirit of truth. Paul was directly confronting this issue in Corinth and he was being countercultural. And, and listen, let me tell you something, we have to be countercultural. We cannot come under the influence of our culture in order to relate to people, in order to bend the knee to make them follow us. I mean, we, we live in, in, a, in a city where it's saturated with entertainment and performance. I mean, it's Disney World, man. And as a church, we have to be careful that we don't begin to operate in that same spirit. We have to be contrary to the powers of the air. Look, if the strongholds over a region in the people's minds is we want to entertain people and we want to draw people to ourselves and we want to be performers rather than being authentic, then that's what the church, the powers of the air are going to influence the church to do the same thing. And the only influence the church is going to have in a culture like that is to do what Paul did and say, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to humble myself. I'm not going to draw attention to myself. I'm going to go low, and I'm going to let the power of God reveal the truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul could have debated with them. he could have pontificated and and, and showed how intellectual he was, but instead he said, you know what, I'm gonna preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and I'm gonna get out of the way and I'm gonna let the power of God come and demonstrate the truth of who he is. What if the pulpits of America would follow this order and you know what, step down, what if leaders would get out of the way, and say you know what, I don't care if you like me, I don't want your faith to rest on me, I don't want your faith to rest on my wisdom, I'm gonna get out of the way and let you experience God. I mean that would be rare, wouldn't it? How much of this has crept into our culture in the church? What does it take to take a man like Paul and take him to a place where he would be able to humble himself in that way? You know his history, you know his background. I mean, he, he went and at first he said he did not consult with humans or the apostles. He had to separate himself because his, uh, his calling was to the Gentiles. Who knows if he would have went and started fellowshipping with the apostles if their Judaistic influence would have crept into his heart and he wouldn't have been able to fulfill his assignment to the Gentiles. And he says, I went and I learned from Jesus Christ by revelation of who he is. He developed the son in me. What if God's people did that and say, you know what? I'm not gonna just follow men's teaching. I'm gonna take the word of God and I'm gonna sit before the Lord and I'm gonna get revelation of Jesus Christ and that's gonna be my foundation and I'm not gonna be codependent on a church or a leadership. Now I love church and leadership, don't get me wrong, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying, look, it's the people who have created celebrity, narcissistic leaders. You can't blame these leaders, you can't blame the leaders because it's the golden calves that the people have created because they're unwilling to go up the mountain. on. Are we really willing to make the change and make the shift? And so Paul, he he had these third heaven revelations and it says he didn't share them. He he said it happened 14 years ago and uh, he was taken up into heaven and he heard things that were unlawful for him to speak on the earth. Now, how many people that have that type of revelation would come back down and not tell anybody about it? What we see today is the minute we get a little dream, we get a little revelation, we see an angel, the next thing you know, we're right behind the pulpit saying, I had a dream, I had a visitation, the Lord showed me this, I went to the third heaven. And they're just spewing all these things, they're prostituting the works of God. Where's an entrustment with the power? A stewardship, a man, God says I can trust with these revelations. And so he embraced this process. Look, we can't judge people's processes because it's gonna look strange to, religion, to the religious people and it may even look evil to religious people. God's plan may be to put you in a cave or put you on the backside of a desert or put you in a dungeon or put you in a pit, put you in a lion's den, put you in the belly of a whale put you in a wilderness. We can't judge people who are going through things in this process, because the process of deliverance and sanctification, the process of preparing an apostle or a prophet to be the message, what does that really take? Because authenticity will cost you something. And what's happened is people have wanted to circumvent this process and because they didn't come under the breaking of God and the stripping of pride, then they built ministries in their own names and their families fell apart. And we're looking at a generation of preachers who have large congregations and large ministries. And please don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about this ministry of Christ for All (laughs) Nations. Please, that's not what I'm talking about. But there was a group of men who said, you know what, I'm going to pursue a ministry and fame over being responsible of preaching the gospel to my children. And then we got this stigma on PKs, preacher's kids, the rebellious ones. The ones who don't wanna have anything to do with the church. Listen, let me tell you something. We've gotta stop telling people the only thing you're taking to heaven is souls. That is not the truth. What you're taking to heaven is obedience and love. Because look, the woman who's at home on her knees praying for her grandchildren and children to be born again is gonna get just as much reward as the Reinhard Bonkies of the world. Now, you have to follow your calling. You have to be obedient. Obedience is the key. Look, we all go through this process. I went through a process myself. I got born again. I was a drug addict. I was selling crack in the projects of Atlanta, Georgia. I was 16 years old. I was a little white kid. I had to call ahead of time to keep from getting shot as I drove into neighborhoods to pick up crack and take it to another project to drop off the crack. I was dealing cocaine, ecstasy, I mean, I was fearless in a lot of ways. But then I had a LSD overdose, so I got radically born again by the power of God. I got put in a Baptist church, and they preached about the power, and it sounded good, everyone clapped, but then they went to lunch with their demons, in their wheelchairs, in their blindness, with their oppression. I said, wait a minute, something's wrong here. There's a disconnect from what's being preached and what's being experienced. And friend, I can smell a devil a mile away, and I can smell falsehood a mile away. I was in so much darkness. The minute I got saved, I was so sensitive to light and darkness. To this day, I always feel the Holy Spirit. I always feel darkness. I had to learn how to focus and put my focus on Jesus when I was surrounded by darkness, and he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And I had to learn that in my immaturity, how to focus on the presence and dial in in my priesthood to get in the presence of God. You know, I don't understand this terminology of, I felt darkness, therefore I got slimed on. No, friend, darkness is everywhere. You know, don't be intimidated by it, don't have fear. Then I heard about the Brownsville Revival And I go down to Brownsville, I get radically touched there, I was so hungry for the power of God, I would get prayer, fall down, get back up, get prayer, fall down, get back up. Every night they would put me in a wheelchair and wheel me out of of the church and they would have to dump me in the grass where I would lay there all night long and wait for the doors to open the next day. For two years straight I was slain in the Spirit 10 to 15 times a week. I was so hungry. You know, your hunger has to supersede your concern for what people think about you. I was so hungry. I didn't care what anybody thought of me. Then I got a job at the church, and they gave me a key to the building. And so so I was watching videos of Steve Hill. Friends, I could do a Steve Hill altar call by just by rehearsed memory so easily. I could mimic him. I was there every night. And then whenever I had the key, I would go into the sanctuary by myself and I would lay in that open heaven and I would sit in John Kilpatrick's chair and I'd say, God, use me for revival. Use me for revival. And I know I'm known for prayer and deliverance and that sort of thing, but friend, I'm a revivalist. I long to see the power and presence of God manifested in the church today at that level. And I would lay there and, you know, then went to Bible college and heard preachers like David Hogan. And he he was so aggressive against darkness. And so that was my paradigm of spiritual warfare. I wanted to go to the darkest place on the earth. And so I went to Paris, France, which I don't have time to tell you, but it is one of the darkest places on the earth. And I'm not going to tell you some funny stories. I wish I had time, but I don't. Oh, Lord, it's only five minutes left. Jesus. So I went to Paris, France. And uh, while I'm there, I experienced the power of God in a way like you would not believe. I mean, uh, demons were manifesting. This one service is on my top five list of services where people were levitating, witches were there shaking chicken bones while I'm preaching. I'm like, yeah, this is what I signed up for, man. like, yes. Come on, man. Come on. The power of God fell. We were stacking bodies over in the corner, man. You know, it's like an angel was there with a baseball bat just knocking people out. And we just... I mean, it was one of those wild, and there was an African man standing there and his eyes were just black as marbles, you know, and I love to pray in Spanish. I was like, fuego, my fuego, senor. You know, you can punch people and kick people. I know Russ knows what I'm talking He likes to get wild in it too, you know? <laughs> Tackle people, fuego, 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 fuego. But I'm in France, you know. You ever tried to pray for people in French? <laughs> Le feu de Dieu. I mean you can't get into that man and so this African man is sitting there rocking back and forth and I know when I touch him something crazy is gonna happen and I touch him and he grabs me or I touch him I like go he takes me to the ground we're rolling on the ground the French intercessors are commanding the spirit to come out and he's just squeezing me even more and I'm like whispering in his ear I take authority over you you foul demon in Jesus name And so finally we get him to calm down and I command the spirit to let me go and he starts vomiting blood all over me. This was a crazy meeting, man. And so we set, ended up praying for him. He'd been drinking chicken blood and blood libations in his witchcraft and uh, he got completely set free. So I experienced all this power of God and I thought, man, I'm the, this is it. I'm gonna be a internationally known preacher. I'm gonna preach and minister all over the world and this is my time and I come off the mission field and then I get married. And I had went through cleansing stream, deliverance ministry, revival every night. I thought I was the cleanest spiritual man of God. And all this brokenness from the years of doing drug addiction started manifesting. You know what I mean? Revival was over. I was disillusioned. I got a job pumping gas for for a commercial fisherman. Then I got got a job picking up golf balls on a golf course. You know that little guy that drives that little thing around, picking up golf balls? That was me. Like, I thought I was going to plant a church in Europe And here I am married, no revival, picking up golf balls on a golf course. People aiming at you, you know, they're trying to hit you. (laughs) I mean, I totally just was dead. I had lost desire to preach. I thought God had left me. And uh, I got called to go to Kansas City, Missouri, and... All my friends were like, man, you're not going on the mission field. It's take the gospel by life or by death. And I had friends like Fabian Greg, and many others I won't name, but they were like, what are you going to do? Just sit in a prayer room, bro? You're just going to sit in a prayer room? God had called me to come and sit in that place and let this forging take place and heal me and restore me. And eventually I did start to preach and teach, but listen, that performance thing had to get rooted out of me. That religious thing where I had to have a microphone and I had to be in front of a lot of people. Listen, embrace the process. Let God deal with you. Don't let disillusionment, don't let offense, don't let those things get in the way because God has a plan and let him have his work in you because you want authenticity way more than you want performance. Listen, you may have touched realms in God, you may have touched the power of God, but embrace humility. What I'm looking for is a revival of humility in this hour. I wanna see something like the Hebrides revival where these two women who were 84 and 82 years old, one was blind, another one that was riddled with arthritis, one was named Peggy, one was named Christine, they were uh, the Smith sisters and they gave birth to a move of God where it says God just stepped down in the community. And people started gathering at the churches. It wasn't built around a man. It wasn't built around a personality. It wasn't about a show. It wasn't a bless me club where people can just come and fall down and get back up and go live like the devil. It was the manifest presence of God and conviction came upon a community. That's what I'm looking for. That's what revival is. I wanna invite you to stand. Andrew Murray said this, Jesus came to restore humility back to mankind. Your greatest defense against disillusionment is humility. The greatest weapon in spiritual warfare is humility. Humility starts revivals and pride ends revivals. Listen, in a culture that is so easily offended and self-centered, we must preach the full gospel that includes the fire of sanctification. Listen, my greatest concern is that we are not preparing people for what's coming. We continue to play games and have good services. Friend, I'm not interested in being part of a church that isn't preparing the people of God to stand in that day. And I'm grateful at Nations Church that we have leaders that agree. You know, Jesus went through the same process. Oh, I wish I had time to go with there. I don't. But Jesus passed his test. He came out of that wilderness in the spirit and power, there was a shift. Listen, if you'll pass your test, there's an entrustment for more. Don't let the enemy take you out, and I wanna call you now, if there's, if there's been offense, if there's been disillusionment, maybe you're a boot camper, and you went and you touched a calling in God, but yet you came back and your assignment changed for a season, listen, keep your eyes focused on the vision. Do not give up, stay faithful, God is doing something in you. Right now, if you have felt this process has been heavy and you haven't understood the dealings of God and you've gotten offended at God and said, God, have you left me? I know you've called me to more than where I'm at. And you need to humble yourself and say, God, I trust you. I lean into you. I know this is your plan. Even though it's difficult, even though it's hard, even though I don't see clearly, I'm gonna have faith and I'm gonna trust you. If you need prayer, if you need to humble yourself, I wanna invite you to come forward today. Maybe there's been disillusionment and say, God, I don't understand your ways. And the enemy is camping out in those places and God wants to heal you today. He wants to restore you today. Friends, it's not about getting the microphone. It's about obedience. It's about love. Come on. If you need that weight of oppression to lift off of you because of offense at God and you don't understand Let's humble ourselves and say God though. You slay me. I will trust you God you are good. You are good in all your ways He gives and he takes away he gives and he takes away all is for your glory All is for your glory